In the late 1880s, there was a group of islanders who lived in this island in the South Pacific, and they had their first interaction with a white man. The white man was certainly different in appearance. He was different in skin color than them, but he was also different in speech, in demeanor, and lifestyle. The islanders were farmers. They would work the land, they would till the ground, they would plant the seed, and they would pray to their gods that the rain would come down, that the crops would grow, and they would have enough food to eat. But the greatest difference between these two people was not how they acted, but what they possessed. The greatest difference between these people was what they possessed. Because the white man had a tool that was unlike anything that the islanders had ever seen. It was powerful, it was useful, it was effective, and it changed everything. Because they recognized the value of this instrument, the whole village, the whole island, collectively decided that they needed one for themselves. They needed to have their own. But the problem was is that they had a very limited ability to create income, to make money. They had to do this by selling this one specific plant, the arrowroot plant. And so they decided that they would put all of their extra effort, all of their extra land, all of their extra time and energy to growing this plant so that they could sell it, so that they could purchase the tool. And the people, an entire island, endured in their labor for 15 years. 15 years. In order to generate enough money to purchase this tool. But because they recognized the value and the power of it, and they recognized that it was absolutely necessary, they were happy to do it. So what's the tool? They did all of this work for one copy of the Bible. One copy of the Bible. And what I did not tell you about this story is that this group of people were actually cannibals on the island of Anidam. And the white man was a missionary by the name of John G. Patton. Maybe you've heard of him. These former cannibals who had been converted by Christ had no means to read the scripture in their native language. But they knew that they needed to. They so desperately wanted to know the God who had saved them. And they proved their desire and their belief and their trust in this God by committing to work for 15 years. Which is longer than many of you have even been on this earth. Looking at you, junior hires, some of you high schoolers, 15 years of their lives, collectively, as an island, just to pool enough money to purchase one Bible. One Bible. It was that precious to them. And as I was reflecting on the story, I often think that we don't cherish the Bible in the way that they do. In fact, I know that to many of you, the Bible is a paperweight. It's something that collects dust on the nightstand. It's something that you could take or leave. But I urge you and I plead with you that you, student, would not be content with a Bibleless life. This book is precious. And we need it. We need the Bible. And that is why at Redeemer Students, at Redeemer Church, we want to focus everything that we teach, everything that we believe, back to this book. On that note, please open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't have one with you, there are extra copies in the back. If you don't have one at all, I would love to get a Bible into your hands. 
The title of my sermon tonight from 2 Timothy chapter 3 is actually a question. The question is why the Bible? Why the Bible? You probably see that on the screen behind me. And we're going to look at four different reasons why we need the Bible and why as a church we want to center everything that we do around this book. So we're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and we're going to start in verse 14. 2 Timothy 3.14 But as for you, Timothy, man of God, woman of God, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God. It is the very breath of God. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So that the man of God, or woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Lord, as we study your word, we ask that you'd open our eyes to treasure it, to love it, to cherish it. We ask that you'd soften our hearts to be receptive to it, to be pierced by it, to be convicted of our sin, and led to repentance, which is a great mercy of you. Be with us this night. In Jesus' name, amen. The first reason, the first answer to our question tonight of why the Bible comes from verse 15. The text says that the Bible, God's word, is able to make you wise to salvation, wise for salvation. So point number one is it reveals salvation. Why the Bible? Why the Bible? Because it reveals salvation. Last week, starting the series on who are we, the pillars of Redeemer students, we looked at the gospel in close detail. The beautiful, amazing, mysterious truth of the gospel is that while it is so simple that even a child can understand, even a second grader or a three-year-old can understand that God rules, that we sin, that God provided, that Jesus gives, and that we respond, right? These five very basic, simple truths, that is all that we need to know and trust and believe in order to receive salvation, and that is amazing. And yet, with that truth, the greatest intellectual mind studying the Bible for their entire life will never come to know the depths of it. We'll never understand it in its full detail. It's kind of what we sung tonight. If you're hearing the sound of my voice, even now, you have the mental thought, or maybe you've had the thought in the past that maybe I would trust God if, if I could just understand him a little bit better. or I'll follow Jesus when all this makes a little bit more sense and I have time to think and process and, and get, get, get a good grasp on my life and on, on my direction so that I can fully agree with with the Bible, and, and the truth is, is that if these are your thoughts, you need to know that if you can grasp the five-step, simple, childlike gospel, you have enough to be saved. That's what it takes. Trust in Jesus as Lord. You have sinned. You need a Savior. Respond in faith. That's the gospel. The Bible reveals salvation in showing us how we can be saved. That's the gospel message. How A holy God can be reconciled with sinful man. And whether or not you have been acquainted with the sacred writings since childhood, like this verse says, whether or not you've grown up in the church your whole life and you've been to every Sunday school service since you were one day old, 
Or whether you've never been to church, and this is literally your first time in a church building, or maybe this is just your first time on a Wednesday night, your first time hearing God's word proclaimed in a sermon, you now have enough to understand salvation. You have enough to know that which makes you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Here's, here's one way of putting it that I thought was really good as I was studying this. The Bible is both broad and it's deep. It is shallow enough for a sheep to wade and yet deep enough for an elephant to swim. It's shallow enough to, for a sheep to wade and yet deep enough for an elephant to swim. It is deep in its treasures. But the salvation that is revealed in this book is available to you, even you junior hires. Even you. And receiving this salvation by faith is foundational to the word of God reaching its effect in you. I want to be very clear in saying this. The next three things that we will be looking at may be profitable without being saved as a general rule of life. But they will not work to the effect that they ought to. And the matter of trusting Jesus as Lord is not the difference between an okay life and a better life. It is a difference between death and life. It is a difference between being an enemy of God and a friend of God. It is a difference between being separated from God and being united to God. It is a difference between heaven and hell. This heart change, this salvation, affects everything about us. Including our reading and profiting from God's word. Listen to this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. It says this. But the minds of unbelievers were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Student, without Christ in you, the Holy Spirit more specifically working in you to both interpret God's word, to understand what it means, and to apply God's word, to understand how it relates to your life. Without the Holy Spirit doing that work in you, this book will not be alive. These three reasons to follow of why the Bible will not have their proper effect. That's the first answer to the question, why the Bible? Let's now move to the second. Number two, why the Bible? It shapes our teaching. The Bible shapes our teaching. There are many things that we could teach through on a Wednesday night. There's a lot of great resources there's a lot of great books, articles, <clears throat> things that are helpful that, that discuss relevant issues, things that you guys face every day. Whether that be at home with your family or your parents, siblings, whether that be at school with friends, maybe some that you have good relationships with, maybe some that you have poor relationships with. Maybe for some of you older ones, it's at your job. There are things that, that we could teach on that would be relevant to those issues, and there is a place for these tools for these other resources, but they all must be secondary to this book. They have to be secondary to Scripture. Well, why? Why the Bible? Well, Redeemer students, along with many other churches and youth groups who preach this book, we make it a priority to go through the Bible. Look what it says in verse 16. Verse 16, it says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. The Bible is the only piece of literature authored by God himself. There's a lot of great books written by really godly men and women. 
And I thank the Lord that they have done that work. But ultimately, this is the only one that was written by God. And that's why we must put this in higher priority than anything else, than any other book. And we must come back to this book and frequent it daily and know that which God commends and encourages. We all need to interact with not just our favorite verse or the U version verse of the day, which is a great start. We can't just focus on one book that we love or even one testament that we love. It's really easy to read the New Testament. But we must be confronted with the whole of Scripture regularly because that is what's going to help us form a proper understanding of who God is, of who we are, and how those two relate. It comes from an understanding of the whole of Scripture. Practically speaking, here's what that could look like. Here's an example. When you're in small group and someone starts a conversation with a new thought or a new idea, ask a question. Hey, do you think there's a, there's a Bible verse that goes along with what you're saying? Do you think we could tie this back to a scripture? Hey, do you think that we could find a passage that goes along the line of your thought? The Bible has to shape our teaching. Do you realize that if you never bring your thoughts back to scripture, you're failing to sharpen one another? And I need to say that there is room for opinion. There's room for personal insight. And those things are really helpful to start discussion. They're really helpful to open up just by saying, hey, this is, this is what I heard. This is what I thought. This is kind of how I heard it, right? But it has to go somewhere from there. It has to go back to this book. We have to circle back to God's word. The reason for this is that the Bible, not our own opinions, is breathed out by God and that sinners will never be saved by our opinion. Sinners will never be saved by your opinion, but sinners instead are saved when they encounter the personal and the holy God that is revealed in the Bible. In addition to revealing salvation and shaping our teaching, the Bible aids us in other ways. And if we continue to the next line of verse 16, it says this, All scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. We just looked at how God provides what we should teach and believe. The Bible shapes our teaching. Now we should move to what the Bible teaches us not to believe, not to teach. Answer number three to the question why the Bible is it, because it corrects our error. Point number three, it corrects our error. It is not hard for us to fall into thinking that our own personal experiences or beliefs are even more true, are more um, valid than God's word because they're personal to us. And it's really hard to see outside of this lens of our experience. But the truth that we all have to go back to, myself included, over and over and over again, is that though my feelings may be valid, though my emotions may be genuine, they do not hold the highest sway over my heart. This word does, and it has to. The highest and final authority must be God and this book. The Bible is the constancy in our change and the cornerstone of our beliefs. It is steadfast because it was authored by the one who will never change. Think about that. The God who wrote this will never change, never once. The Bible is a standard of truth that never shifts. And in the world that you and I live in, bless you, I was a little late. <laughs> in the world that we live in, where what was once condemned is now being celebrated, this is vital. 
Our world is clearly displaying what happens when you separate yourself from ultimate truth. And it's really scary. Divorce actually used to be illegal in almost all circumstances. And now even among professing Christians, it is almost half of the marriages in this world end in divorce. Adultery, which used to be punishable by death, is now encouraged in many ways. Mass looting is happening every day. People live in public denial of God's created order, and they blatantly pursue homosexual relationships, denying and rejecting the way that God has created this universe. They reject the undeniable and the beautiful truth that God has created mankind as male and female. And it is beautiful. It really is. And though male and female are equally loved and they are equally valued, they are different in role and design. That is what God's word says. Do you see that the world is pushing you each to question and to challenge your identity, to look inside, to see your truth, to, to look within and find your purpose in life, to seek yourself and your own opinions and thoughts and live according to what makes you happy? Do you ever feel that way? That's what the world pressures us to think. Is it not clear that we need correction? Because even our minds that, that know Jesus and love Jesus are pulled in this direction of the world. And we have to combat that with this word. Bless you. Sadly, this reality has even happened in the church. Just read today that a famous pastor of one of the largest churches in America is hosting a conference next week affirming the LGBTQ ideology, and instead of identifying this as sin that God clearly condemns, is aiming to create room for it in the church. Instead of calling for repentance, he's calling for acceptance of this sin. Instead of restoration, he is calling for denial and perversion. How does this happen? Well, it's partly because of the pressure of the culture and society around us. But maybe some of you have experienced this as I have Probably the, the, the hardest force in this fight that's most compelling is that we have dear friends and family members who have abandoned the Christian faith and now they are walking in open rebellion to God and they're proud of it. And that's so sad and it's hard for us to wrestle with that. It's hard for us to go to the Lord and trust that He is working in all things. But the thing is, is that if we... If we move towards them by softening our message, by, by just edging off a little bit, by changing this a little bit or giving a little bit here or a little bit there, we're not loving them. The affirmation of sin is ultimately not loving. The affirmation of sin is not loving. We must move in love, but love centered on truth. Love centered on this word. And we cannot place a higher emphasis on not offending than on not holding fast to the word. We do not live Christian to please man, Galatians 1.10. But we seek approval from God. <clears throat> and if we can stand before the Lord, there's nothing on this earth that we can't stand before. It's a great quote. He who fears God has nothing to fear. The word has to correct our error. What does that look like? Well, it's humbling and it's a hard experience, but it's necessary and it produces great things in our lives. There's a verse in Psalm 141, verse 5. You can write the reference down. King David says this, Let a righteous man strike me. 
It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Do you see that David's recognizing that though this correction, this reproof is painful, that's why he uses the language of literally getting beaten, he welcomes it because he sees the other side. He understands that as a sinner, he needs divine refinement. We call this sanctification. And it happens often through hardship. It happens through pain. Student, think back to a time in your life where you were grounded, where your parents took away your phone for a week, or you couldn't see your friends for a month, or you couldn't have a sleepover, or you couldn't go anywhere, or you lost some privilege that you really like to have. Was that fun? <laughs> no. No, it wasn't. It's okay to say it wasn't fun. But most of you who are older now can recognize that those lessons that were not fun were needed. They were necessary. And even if you aren't quite there at at this point, look ahead because one day you'll look back and you'll say, yeah, I needed that. (laughs) I can do that with you. But the the correction process is not joyful in the moment. But as David is seeing through it, I pray that God would allow you to see through the correction and trust that God is producing something beautiful within you. God uses his word to accomplish many things in us. First, it reveals salvation. It also shapes our teaching. It corrects our air. And point number four, it refines our character. Why the Bible? Because it refines our character. Let's look back at our passage once again, starting in verse 16. All scriptures breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As we look to this book, as we behold God revealed on the pages of the Bible, as we understand the glories, the truths, the insights of Scripture, the Holy Spirit works within us to conform us into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. Believer, the fruit that is being produced by you submitting to God's Word is righteousness. It's righteousness. God is making you holier. He's making you more like him as you are conformed to his word. And he does this as you read and study and meditate on his words to you. He is refining your character. The good news is his training in righteousness is not just some abstract idea, but God is actually not just training you, but he's equipping you for specific things. That's how this passage ends. It says that you may be equipped for every good work. It's good news. What I fear for many of you is that you lose sight of the work that God is doing and preparing you for in your future. Some of you junior hires, maybe one day, are going to be a small group leader, Lord willing. You ever think about that? High schoolers, be small group leaders. Many of you will serve the church faithfully. I pray that you would. Some of you may be called to be pastors or missionaries Shepherding God's people are pursuing the lost nations for the sake of Jesus. But that work is being done even on nights like this when we study God's word. It happens also on Sunday mornings when we study God's word. And it also happens as you read this book every day. As you are conformed to the image of God as revealed in the scripture. He is making you complete by his spirit. 
I know many of you feel too young in age or faith for this, but God's desire is not that you would be content in immaturity, but instead that you would press in to the truth that God is growing you to be like him and that you would grow in your spiritual maturity and that you would be equipped for Christ in Christ for everything that comes your way. And this is a promise that we have in the word of God. But here's the raw truth, young Christian. You will not grow unless you are seeking God in his word. You will not grow unless you are seeking God in his word. You must work hard to make the word of God your delight. It takes work. It's not something that comes naturally. It takes effort. It takes practice. It's not natural for your heart to say with King David in Psalm 119, Oh, how I love your law and how on it I meditate day and night. That wasn't his natural disposition. But you should hear that and know, I can get there. This is not anyone's natural thought, but it can be yours in Christ to love God's word more than anything in the world. And as I say this, I want to be clear that this is not to earn your salvation or your approval before God. Because whether or not you are diligent in this study, though I encourage you and plead with you that you are, If you are a believer in Jesus and you trust in him, your status before him will never be changed. He will never be more approving of you or less approving of you if you fail to read your Bible today or yesterday or all of last week or all of last year. He longs for you to know him more. He has revealed himself through this book so that you would know him more. But your status is secured by Jesus, not by your action. But if this God loves you so much and has written only one resource, he's only written one book, and it's sufficient, it's enough, but he's only written one. And if this God reveals his love towards you and how that should alter everything in your life through this book, how do you not want to know more? How do you not want to study it, to to pour over it, to treasure it in your heart? It comes in time comes through faith and trusting in Jesus every day, even when your emotions and feelings tell you not to read, not to pursue him, not to trust in him. But as we go back to the Bible every day, it shapes us and it forms us and it creates the person in us that God is working so that you may be equipped for every good work. I want to close with a statement from the diary of the man who introduced the cannibals to God's word. Please close your eyes, bow your heads as we listen to how they care for and cherish the Bible. Listen to this. This is incredible. Let those who lightly esteem their Bibles think on these things. Eight shillings for every leaf, which is the labor and proceeds of 15 years for one Bible. Even this did not appear to these poor converted savages too much to pay for that word of God, which had sent them the missionaries, which had revealed to them the grace of God in Christ, and which had opened their eyes to the wonders and glories of redeeming love. They had felt, and we had seen, that in all the lands, amongst all branches of the human family, the Holy Bible is, wherever it's received and obeyed, The power of God unto salvation. 
What had it done? It had lifted these people out of savagery and it had set them at the feet of the Lord Jesus. Oh, that the comfortable, pleasure-seeking men and women of the world could only taste and feel the real joy of those who know and love the true God. This is a privilege which the world and all that is in it cannot give to them, but which the poorest and the humblest followers of Jesus inherit and enjoy. Lord, your word is so precious. And we ask that you would forgive us of our sins, of our low estimation of the value of your word, that you would help us and motivate us, Lord, to see your word as the pearl of greatest price, as the treasure worth our whole life, that we will give up everything that we have to buy the field that contains this treasure, Lord, and you have given it to us as a gift of grace. Pray that these students would not be intimidated by the Bible, but that they would love the Bible, that they would place their life, their hope on this word as revealed in the scripture. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.